<laughs> a history of comedy. It's Chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. A history of comedy. It's Chats. A history of comedy. Come and have a rummage in the archive. Hello and welcome to A History of Comedy and Several Objects, a podcast from the University of Kent about the British stand-up comedy archive, which exists to document the British stand-up comedy circuit uh, by collecting all kinds of different objects. The idea of this podcast is that in each episode we will pick just one item from the archive and we'll talk about that in detail to try and actively interpret what it tells us about stand-up. I'm Ollie Double, and I'm joined here by my colleague Elspeth Miller. We are very much the old mother Riley and her daughter Kitty of comedy archiving. <laughs> uh, I think I'm, I'm definitely the old mother Riley. I think you're the daughter Kitty on that one. Um, so, Elspeth, what have we got uh, for this episode? So, this episode we are looking at uh, a folder, really, of material from Andy De La Torre's collection again. Um, and the folder piece of paper within relate to... Um, the comics union or the idea of setting up a comics union which um, Andy did a little kind of led on um, with some other colleagues in the early 80s 1983 roughly Uh, and the idea was to um, basically ask for minimum minimum performers wages um, from the growing number of comedy clubs that were were, um, arising in the early 80s and this is not the only thing that Andy gave us, is it? I mean, he gave us a, a, a lot of different kinds of things. Yeah, his collection is um, is fantastic, actually. It's in terms of when you were talking previously in an episode about getting that material from the very start of alternative comedy. Um, Andy's collection really kind of represents that because he's, he, he's given us material from kind of 79 onwards through to the 90s, really, actually up until until the present or very early 2010s um, and it's really fantastic it's um, the material he's given us um, is a lot from his solo work so he's given us set lists and well scripts um, he's given us material from when he traveled on an arts council grant to the states to kind of study their comedy and he's given us a lot of this kind of material we've got relating to alternative cabaret that, that collective um, so it's a fantastic collection we're really lucky um, that he's he's gifted it to us and what we actually have here I mean and we've cheated slightly because it's literally more than one object it's a collection of papers really there's four sheets of A4 there's a letter to the variety organiser of equity because the idea was that they were going to work I think with equity to set this up so he's written to Archie Macmillan of Equity, and the, the the letter is dated the 19th of April, 1983. So that dates it helpfully for us. Uh, but what I like is this. Well, there are two things I like. I like the second sheet. This is a letter aimed at performers on this burgeoning alternative cabaret circuit or alternative comedy circuit. I mean, that's an interesting differentiation there because... We, we, it's often referred to as alternative comedy but at the time it was often referred to as cabaret reflecting the fact that it wasn't just stand-up comedy we'll perhaps come across that debate you know, in a, in a future episode of the podcast but anyway, these performers were being given this uh, letter and it says this Dear co-artiste question mark in brackets 
Uh, so already that question mark in brackets is saying, okay, we, this is a serious business, but we've got a tongue-in-cheek about it as well, because even calling the other person co-artiste, it seems a little bit kind of pretentious, and they've perhaps acknowledged that with the punctuation there of putting a, 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 you know, a bracketed question mark after that. And it says, as you'll probably know, especially if you were there, there was recently a meeting of many of the performers currently working the London cabaret scene. The meeting was held courtesy of Colin down at the Sol y Sombra, which was an early venue, uh, now largely forgotten, but it was a venue for a while. And we have much to thank him for, not forgetting the bloke running the disco there at the same time. And I think my guess there is the fact that that there was disco there happening when they had this meeting was probably quite tricky to be heard over. So that's that's a kind of little sarky comment there. But again, the jokes are running through the, the, the letter. The meeting was the first attempt to organise, in the communist sense, the cabaret scene. The meeting agreed a few things, and then it lists the things that were agreed. A, no jokes at the meetings, brackets, immediately broken by Jim Barclay. (laughs) Jim Barclay was another important figure in the early uh, alternative cabaret, alternative comedy scene. And in fact, he's loaned us some brilliant material as well. Uh, but so, so they've just said because it is a serious business they've said there's going to be no jokes in the meeting but they've immediately broken that rule and then B so point B is as from May we agreed to establish a minimum of £25 for solo performers for a 20 minute set having established this as a minimum as a minimum for solo performers double acts compares etc can then negotiate their own fees above the minimum should they so wish so there's a recognition there that perhaps different types of performer are doing different kinds of things and they might want to clearly if you're a double actor and you're getting paid the same as a single act then you're only being half each of you is only getting paid half as much uh, and then c this minimum was to apply to all venues except the Solly sombra where the uh, event took place the crown and castle earth exchange where we agreed the present situation of a box office split so we'll talk more about a box office split in a future episode but it's basically a share of the takings. And so in those three venues, it will continue just, they will give you a share of the takings. And then the, the subsection of, of uh, the second subsection of point C is the comedy store and new variety, where we've asked for a minimum of £30 for solo performers for a 20 minute set. And then it, it says also at CS, a minute of £40 for comparing, £45 for double act. So the double act is half as much again as a solo act. Um, and I think the reason that they would have made that differentiation would be that the new variety gigs were subsidised, actually. And so they probably made a bit more money. Uh, they probably had a bit more money to spend. And the Comedy Store as being the first alternative comedy venue, you know, it was commercially successful. So it probably had a bit more money to, to pay them. I think that, that, my guess is that anyway. It says promoters... Stroke man well, it's supposed to say managements, but because this is 1983 mm-hmm. and they didn't have word processors, there's a typo there. It says promoter slash managements. It's got an F instead of a G. Talk, talked to so far have agreed to these new fee levels. Don at the comedy store, that's Don Ward, would also like to see some kind of written confirmation that performers are on Schedule D, i.e., self-employed tax, so that he won't get his collar felt by the inland revenue. Previous tax receipt would do accountant's letter, etc. That's interesting mm. because what it what it suggests because it was a cash in hand type profession. You know, you if you're getting a door split, they split the money that's taken on the door. 
you take your slice and it's just the money is literally put into your hand it's literally cash in hand so you wouldn't have to declare that but what Don Ward is worried about at the comedy store is that you know he's going to get done for that for not ensuring that those people have paid their tax so he needs to see that they're properly registered with the inland revenue so that's an interesting point because we're sort of four years into the it's almost exactly four years after the comedy store opened the scene is starting to grow it's becoming a bit professionalized the fact they're trying to start a trade union suggests it's getting professionalised. But, you know, they're to declare their earnings. That's definitely getting professionalised. And then there's an underlined sentence. It says, this attempt to organise the field will only work if everyone sticks to it. Brackets, quote, marks, theories of surplus value, volume nine. But I don't need to tell you that. Hmm. <laughs> and again, it's a joke because he's, being, he's playing on his own nerdy knowledge of Marxist theory. Of course, newcomers to the scene will still be asked to do audition spots for no or little money. That's fair enough as long as they are brought into the union and that a clear line is drawn between a genuine audition spot and a booking. Underlined, please talk to all the performers and promoters you know slash meet to acquaint them with all this. And then it's got contact names, Annie Delator and Lee Corns. And it finally says we are also in contact with Equity to liaise closely about all this. So, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's really interesting. And then on the next, to go with this letter, I assume, or this letter was posted to the final kind of piece of paper in this folder, which um, is a list of performers, comedians and musicians um, and other type of performers who we presume the letter was circulated to. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, yes, this this uh, is, is a list presumably of people who taken, uh, you know, who attended the meeting, and it's got typed names, and then some uh, names are added in with biro or amended in biro, um, and then it's got addresses and phone numbers, which clearly we're not going to read out on the podcast. Um, but what this gives is a snapshot of who a lot of the key performers were at the time, and it really shows you. Uh, something about the nature of the scene and, and we, we don't know who all these people are but we know who quite a few of them are and I think what we'll do is we'll just go through this list and see who we've got so it starts with Tony Allen who was the founder member of Alternative Cabaret a sort of anarchist previously worked in street theatre had written radio plays important part of the London squatting scene uh, he did his first stand-up act just before the comedy store opened um, uh, you know, a really inspiring figure for a lot of people in that early scene. And then you've got Mark Arden of the Oblivion Boys, listed separately. He's not listed with his partner, but his partner, uh, Stephen Frost, is listed below separately for some reason. Then you've got Clive Anderson, uh, the mm-hmm. uh, lawyer and chat show host, um, who was, who was in, you know, I think he was there on the first night of the comedy store, certainly an important figure in the early scene and then Andrew Bailey uh, who was a sort of an absurdist comic really did very strange things certainly not a straight stand-up comic and one of the acts he did was he did an impression of Lenin and he would do the act in cod Russian and then somebody would translate into English and it's a lot of funny jokes you know translating what seems to be communist invective into sort of ridiculousness and then you've got Jim Barclay who was another key figure of the early alternative the early group Alternative Cabaret that's Alternative Cabaret capital A capital C so that was a group called Alternative Cabaret rather than the genre Alternative Cabaret uh, he described himself as a wacky zany Marxist comedian and you've got Chris Barry 
who was an impressionist and later red dwarf yeah he was in red dwarf <laughs> well, that's one of the things I've found interesting about working with the stand up collections for the past few years is the amount of people who I actually recognise yeah and who came from comedy like a, a stand up comedy cabaret background which I had no idea about I didn't know Clive Anderson Anderson started as a comedian absolutely Simon Fanshaw I didn't realise I knew him as, as a journalist and kind of yeah Rather than uh, a comedian, but we'll come to come down to that. Yeah, well, well absolutely right. Arnold Brown still mm. still around. Um, did a show at the Comedy Store recently for his 80th to mark his 80th birthday. Uh, very interesting um, sort of um, Scottish comic, very laid back and urbane, and older than a lot of the other acts, which which was an interesting factor there. Tim Bat was a juggler from Brighton, so they're not all comedians Tim, by any yeah. means. Well, that's uh, what's nice to see, and we'll see it through the other records that we, we look at in later podcasts. Absolutely. How, again, I didn't realise that that comedy started on the same circuit as, well, it's cabaret, as with kind of magicians and musicians and street performers. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing is that doing stand-up is, is quite tricky, and they were having to learn how to do it for themselves, so that wasn't an easy task. So it was good for them that there were people from other genres of performance who were also around who could... You know, fill up a bill basically. Mm. Um, so Christians from outer space, I didn't know, but I did Google them, and they were a sort of comedic theatre group slash double act. Um, Lee Corns was um, later, well, around this time actually, was part of a thing called the Wow Show with the Oblivion Boys and somebody else whose name now escapes me. But he he was he was there, I think, on the first night of the Comedy Store. Ian. Pulliston Davis, I think that's misspelled because I googled him and he was a he, there's an actor of that name but with a single L mm. and was recently a regular on Coronation Street mm. but I assume it's probably the same person Steve Dixon interestingly he, he does a cameo in an episode of The Young Ones and he was at British University I think he was at like Salford or somewhere um, but he's, he's now an academic, I think he's like um, a, a vice chancellor or something somewhere uh, but he his but when he became an academic, his subject was drama, and he was particularly interested in performance art and things like that, and he was involved with that directly as well. John Dowie's career predates alternative comedy. He was a maverick who was sort of outside of any other scene, really, um, sort of foreshadowing what the alternative comics would would go on to do, and then he kind of be, sort of sort of became involved in the scene. Ben Elton, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you've gone through all these people, who many of whom I've had to sort of describe who they are, and then you get to Ben Elton, yep, you know... Sure. Of, novel and West End uh, sort of jukebox musical fame um, and, and, and one of the sort of key figures in stand-up comedy in the 80s I mean one of the one of the first to sort of break through and become a massive star through doing stand-up and obviously co-author of The Young Ones as well Simon Fanshaw who you, who you mentioned who actually won the Perrier Award in 1989 I believe Bob Flagg was a kind of eccentric musical act who was sort of vaguely involved in all that stuff, and I think he's still around doing stuff uh, somewhere. And then another obscure act, Dawn mm-hmm. French and Jennifer Saunders. <laughs> so I presume this was pre-comic strip? If uh, no, actually, the comic strip would have already started by that point. And in fact, interestingly, some of these people would be quite well known, because if it's early 1983... Mm-hmm. The first series of The Young Ones had actually been on, and the first series of Comic Strip, or the first episode of Comic Strip Presents, was on the first night of Channel 4, which was 1982. So they would have started to become actually quite well known already. Um, 
they got Stephen Frost, who's who's the other Oblivion boy. Uh, Ronnie Golden, who's still around, a very good musical comic, does sort of you know, comedy songs. John Hegley, the brilliant poet, um, who, who's still very much uh, around and and um, uh, you know ter- terrific act, very original, uh, very brilliant sort of comic poet. Phil Herbert, you've got his pseudonyms here from the, from his act. Randolph and Hubert Haddock. Mm. Randolph the Remarkable would do tricks and stunts along, the, along with loads of... He was not a thin man, and one of his things was to fill or half-fill a washing up, plastic washing-up bowl with water, and then he could put it onto his stomach, and it, through <laughs> suction alone it oh would gosh. stay there. Right? So uh, I think that you can find footage of that on YouTube, really? I think. Roy Hutchins was a very fine stand-up comic. He, he was... Um, a uh, he did sort of autobiographical stuff about childhood and that kind of thing. Very gentle style of comedy. The Joeys were a really, really big name. They used to do sort of sketches, um, often on themes of sexual politics. So, yeah, one of them. Well, there's another familiar name here, Robert Llewellyn, who mm-hmm. again, Red Dwarf. Red yeah. Dwarf. Ian Kelly, no idea who that is. Jenny Lacote was the radical feminist mm-hmm. comedian. Uh, Norman Lovett was 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 a kind of deadpan comedian, very very funny, and I saw him quite recently. He's still very very funny. And again, well, Red Dwarf, yes, Red sorry. Dwarf. <laughs> he was he was the second yeah. face of second Holly, Holly the computer after Hattie Hayridge. Yeah. And then Paul Martin, who would be better known to most people as Paul Merton, still going under his original name there. Carl Meller, don't know who that is. Carl with a K, Meller, not sure. Pauline Melville is now a writer and a very good writer of fiction, but was a very important figure in the early alternative comedy scene because she's one of the f- first prominent female stand-up comics. Uh, was was very good. Uh, I saw her, Stuart Lee, put on a show at the Royal Festival Hall in 2011 called At Last the 1981 Show and got a lot of the figures from the early scene to perform again. And she did her act, which apparently he had to lend her the LP of Alternative <laughs> Cabaret for her to revise what the act was, because she couldn't remember it. And she, I've got to tell you, she was fantastic. She was really, really fantastic. The Mivies, I don't know anything about. Um, Oscar McLennan was a solo act who later did performance art and also was half of a duo called Gas Mask and Hopkins, who was one original member of Alternative, the Alternative Cabaret group. Terry McDonald, no idea. David Rappaport was an actor who was in Time Bandits. He was a, a small man. And I don't know what the correct term is, but it's something like a little person. I knew David Rappaport because I used to watch a programme called Tiz Was, a Saturday morning show, and he was a regular character called Shades, and he used to just you know, grin and be generally likeable. And, yeah, he used to do, he used to do comedy on, on the circuit at this point. Next is Nick crossed out and written in John Reville, it says... Uh, but actually, I thought, well, I don't know John Revel, but Nick Revel sounds a bit like Nick Revel, who was a comic I used to know because when we used to run comedy in Sheffield in the in the early nineties, he used to play our club. But I knew him from before that time because I was a sort of fan of comedy. So I sent him a message via Facebook and asked if it was him, and he said, "Ollie, yes, that was me. My first name is John. Changed to Nick when I got the equity card, which would have been late '82." The meeting place would have been Solly Sombra, which was a little bar on Charlotte Street with a basement where Nika Burns ran a gig for a while. I don't remember much about the meeting, except that I thought it was a good idea, but was very sceptical about it happening. So, yeah, that, that's Nick. 
Um, it's nice that we've got his reflections on it it's nice that we've got his reflections on it absolutely and then you've got somebody I can't quite even read that it looks Mm. something like Daniel Rovai or Rove or something don't know Mark Steele still around very very good comedian a superb show Who Do I Think I Am Uh, currently touring I think Lynn Thomas was a man not a woman contrary to the name and was another person from the Brighton Street theatre scene um I don't know what Lynn Thomas did, but it was that kind of an act. Andy Delator, obviously, we've talked about. Captain J.J. Waller, another Brighton person. We've got some of his material he's donated to the archive. Very interesting man. Wild Girls, no idea. Pete Zero, I don't know. And finally, the last name on the... Do you want to read the Z? Because I've done oh, a lot of the talking here. Benjamin Zephaniah. The great yeah. Benjamin Zephaniah. So, you know who I knew as a sort of dub poet. Mm. Um, but the the point is there was a scene at that time that was known as the ranting poetry scene. So it came out of punk and reggae. I mean, actually, it'd be, ranting would be the punk wing and dub poetry would be the reggae wing. So people like Attila the Stockbroker, who again has given us material, um, and Benjamin Zephaniah would be an example of a very, very good dub poet mm-hmm. who somehow became part of this scene of alternative cabaret and again not a not a straight stand-up comedian Mm. so i think i think going through that list what you realize is that that it really wasn't just stand-up comedy it was a very rich and varied scene with performers of lots of different genre it must have been fascinating to see those shows where you'd you get a musician and then you'd get a ventriloquist or something and then you'd get somebody doing a crazy act with a washing up bowl and then you get a poet you get a bit of dub, you know. It, it would be. I, I, I love a, a TARDIS right now, and to go back and this is the, the nearest we have to it to be able to travel in time. We can just see the artifacts and, and and imagine what those times were like. And of course, what's interesting about this as well, going back to the point about this list came from this attempt to set up a, a, a trade union representation for for uh, the the acts on this cabaret circuit. And of course, it's not the only attempt that's ever been made to do that. Um, in 1907, there was what was known as the Music Hall War, a, a strike of music hall artists fighting for better paying conditions, a very big dispute with picket lines and all kinds of things. Um, and it, it was um, in response to the increasing commercialism, interestingly, albeit on a much bigger scale than what we're talking about here, of the music hall scene and, and, and changes in the way it was organised and the feeling that some of the acts were being exploited. And then, um, so that was one example. Another example would be in America in 1979, so very similar time. American comedy clubs have been used to not paying their acts at all, taking all the money. So they might pay them perhaps a cab fare and perhaps give them something to eat, but they wouldn't be paying them. They'd be taking all the money uh, through the door. So there was a strike in 1979, and um, yeah, uh, some big names were involved in the organising committee, and... uh, and it was successful. The, 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 the comedy store in LA, which was one of the main sort of points of dispute, started paying its acts after that. And then more recently, there have been other attempts to start. Well, I suppose it's also worth saying that the, 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 the trade union equity had a variety branch, and it still does. And this was that you know, these people were coordinating with that branch to try and unionize the cabaret mm-hmm. circuit. Um, but but very recently in uh, 2015 I, I think 
there was a, a thing set up, the UK Comedy Guild, which again I think is working with equity. And Sarah Pascoe is one of the main players in that. And this is an article from The Guardian that I've brought with me. Um, and there's a quote here from Sarah saying, the idea is to bring some best practice to the industry and to have some sort of mediator rather than us just whinging about it on car journeys or on forums and social media. And actually, some of the disputes they're talking about are similar problems to the ones being addressed by this attempt to start a trade union all those years ago. So things like uh, why, why pay doesn't go up with inflation or cancellation fees if you get an expensive train journey and then the gig gets pulled. So, um, so yeah, again, there's, there's an attempt even now, all these years on, to try and uh, address these problems, these disputes between uh, promoters and comedians. Um, so yeah, it's clear that, uh, that although it's difficult to organise you know, people as individualistic as stand-up comedians, it's also important to do so. Mm. Nothing came of this um, union. Do we know why? Was it that they felt it was unnecessary or just...? I, d- I don't know why, actually. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I remember when I was on the circuit, there was an attempt to, to start one, and I think similarly, it, it just... I, d- I think it was difficult to get comedians... Well, the one that I remember, it was difficult to get comedians to sign up to it. But I don't know why this, still, this one didn't work. OK, so before we go, we should go to the regular feature called Get Involved, because this podcast isn't just about us talking to you, it's also about you getting involved. Get involved! There are various different ways you can get involved with this podcast, but first you'll need to know our email address, which is standup, all in one word, no hyphen, at kent.ac.uk. And if you can't remember that, you can contact us using social media. The first way you can get involved is to go to our online catalogue. You can find the web address on our blogs and social media. Um, search the catalogue, find an object or a record that you're interested in and nominate it for a future episode. The chocolate chip version of that is to arrange to come in and look at material from the archive for yourself. You can do this if you're an ordinary member of the public interested in comedy, if you're a student, if you're an academic researcher or a journalist. And if you record a piece of audio about one of the objects you've seen and send it to us, we might use it in a future episode. And the other thing you can do to get involved in the podcast is to record your own version of our theme tune, and we may use it in a future episode. Right, OK, I think that's, that's enough from us. Uh, well, we'll be back with another episode very soon. A History of Comedy and Several Objects is devised and presented by Dr Oliver Double and Elspeth Miller for the British Stand-Up Comedy Archive, brought to you by the University of Kent. This is made possible by the University of Kent's Public Engagement Research Fund, Photography by Matt Wilson and editing and production by Matt Hulse.